Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. From the Palmetto Swamps, to the Piney Woods, to the Oak Flats, you're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. You're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. This is the third episode of Season 6. Colin, I think we're on about Episode 108 total, hmm. I think. That's a lot of episodes. Obviously, I wasn't here for all of them, but... Yeah, six years. Lot. We do about 24 on average per season. So, if, you're ma- if my math is right, uh, we obviously... Not exactly 24, but I think that's about the average. But we're in the middle of September, and um, we have already kicked off the season with an early season hunt in Kentucky. That was successful. I hope you've seen it on the the Scree channel. And uh, we're packing up to head to Missouri for their opener. But as far as at home here in Louisiana, I know I've been doing a little bit of this. I know Colin has because he borrowed some of my equipment yesterday. It's kind of getting to be preseason food plot, scouting, and setup for October the 1st. So it's uh, obviously Colin and I, but also joining us on the podcast is Mr. Blair Goins. You may have seen Blair in the past as part of the Jury Outdoors team. He was on the Dream Season and then the Dream Season Journey television series for seven or eight years and now part of the Rival TV digital series. And uh, Blair, thanks for taking the time to jump on the podcast with us today. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. Look well, forward to chatting with you. Well, primarily, so so we actually spent time uh, in camp in Kentucky with Blair and his brother and his, his friends Adam and Joe and camera guys and stuff. It, it was their hunt, their lease. They invited us to come up and hunt. And 
you know, we've, we formed a friendship and a partnership through Scree, but, you know, one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on our podcast specifically now is because you have kind of turned yourself into a food plot connoisseur in getting to know you and hunting with you and stuff. Um, that's, uh, you know, something that you don't shy away from. That is, that is kind of your strategy is feed the deer, provide them a lot of food and not necessarily through a corn pile, but, you know, to cultivate the land and, I feel like right now, it, uh, you know, as I said in the intro, at this time of the year, everybody that is managing property all over the country, but specifically down here in the south where our seasons start to go in October, uh, this is kind of the time of the year we're, we're starting to uh, get ready to figure out what we're going to do with food plots for the fall. So we're going to pick your brain a little bit about what you've learned over your years and, and – um, you know, obviously, like I said, you've put a big emphasis on it, so you've you've learned a lot and experienced a lot with that. So we're going to pick your brain on that. But I wanted to kind of start out by letting you in, kind of introduce yourself as far as where you're from and and some of your background. Yeah. So thank you guys for having me. Glad to be here. And I absolutely food plots is probably the one thing that I actually enjoy more than hunting. If you ask me, would I rather go ride around on a tractor and do crazy things with with food plots i would give you a thumbs up i like it a lot more than i do just sitting in the woods that's just me you know um i'm i'm i've got a little bit or a lot of adhd so i always like to be doing something and um you know sometimes when you're just sitting there uh it's i'm, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking how could i make this food plot better when i'm sitting there so anyways so um we uh, we kind of grew up under the Drury umbrella, you know, and and we um, watching their videos as a child and and in high school and things of that nature. Obviously, um, they're they're big, you know, food plot giants. They everything they do is they're trying to draw a deer in front of them. And I kind of learned that early on. And I will say, I think the reason I had no luck in Kentucky was because I was just hunting over a bait pile. <laughs> that's just not, that's not my game. Don't get me wrong. I, I love to roll in and, and kill one, especially when somebody's been putting it out for me all year. But gosh dang it, every time I'm sitting there, I'm thinking about what's done wrong. And, and at least when it's a food plot, if it was done wrong, well, I did it wrong, right? So anyways, um, but I have learned, I have learned all kinds of stuff just about life, about food plots. For example, I don't, I have a pretty nice yard at home. Okay. It would be nicer if I wasn't so cheap and would water it more this time of year. But you know, all my money's kind of going to my hunting side of things right now. So, but like, I don't, it's, it's a sin to me to hire a greenkeeper or whatnot you want to call it to come in and spray your lawn right so i'm putting all the chemicals out where did i learn to do that i learned to do that through deer hunting you know if you go in my garage i have tons and tons of jugs of chemicals and where did i learn all those well i learned it through deer hunting and it's just it's so much that the sport of hunting has taught it taught me uh especially keying in on the food plots that it's just it, it's it's immense it's, it's immense with the knowledge that i've learned but you know, to kind of push in, the one thing that I have learned about food plots is deer are very different. And if you watch Drury's 13 show, uh, they talk, they take you through the phases of, the, of a white-tailed deer, okay? Um, there was, I can't remember if it was Tecamati or somebody put out a show about five years ago that talked about, I think it was actually 14 different species of a white-tailed deer. And 
I'm not a biologist, so I don't want to go in and start, you know, really contradicting one or the other. But I will tell you one thing that is for certain. Deer in certain parts of the country prefer different types of food than deer in other parts of the country. I will give you an example. I plant soybeans everywhere I hunt. Some make it to grain, some don't because the deer absolutely devour them. But my goal is to have some pods for the winter. In the Midwest, that and corn is king in late season, when there's, especially when there's snow on the ground. When you get a good cold front, I don't really mean early November. I mean like end of November, all of December, first part of January, or you know, mid, middle part of January. Those bean pods are like gold. It really draws deer. On the flip side, when you come down to the deep south and you have a soybean field with pods in it, yeah, they like them, but it's not their filet mignon, if we can call it that, okay? They rather have a cereal grain, and if you can get some warm temperatures ahead of a cold front and fertilize that cereal grain to where it's sweeter, oh, man, it changes the game. And where that tactic would not work near as well, in my opinion, in the Midwest, and I'm basing all this on what I've learned from others and I've also seen while I've been sitting a field. So um, I, I plan a lot of the same things. My goal is always this. What can I plant that is the most economical that's going to keep deer on my property and allow me opportunities? Because we all work, you know, we, we all work and we can't be there all the time. So I have some farms that we lease and we we pay a good amount of money for, and we do everything that you can think of to try to make them better. And we really only hunt them about 10 days a year. And the reason that we do that is because we've got certain other areas that we've got to be. So I always design my plots to be really efficient at that time of the year when I'm hunting. Okay. And we can dive into a lot of that. I can tell you what I've noticed that deer prefer over in certain times over others. I can also, you know, share what grows in certain, what grows well in certain areas and what the deer seem to feed on well in certain areas. Um, I don't hunt a whole lot real far west like Nebraska, Oklahoma, South Dakota, some of those states. But I am planting food plots in Illinois, Iowa, you know, Tennessee, Alabama. Um, I haven't, I don't I have a Kentucky, we have a Kentucky lease this year. We didn't plant plots in it um, just because I can't be everywhere. But uh but I do have a, a fair amount of experience planting a lot of things. And we're actually cutting timber on 320 acres of property right now. We're going to a really wide open basal rate. Please jump onto our social media sites, the Rival TV. You'll see what's going on. But we're going to implement a lot of food plots there. And we're taking a property that is so thick you, you couldn't send a bird dog through it. And we're going to open it up, open the canopy up, and then design a lot of food plot areas. So, so. I, I'm, I'm curious to know really uh just just an opinion an observed opinion it would be when you talk about the deer in the midwest and how you know a soybean pod late in the season is 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 the best thing for them it's great and then how in the south the deer will eat it but it's not do you think that's an evolutionary type thing where these deer have lived for generations and generations where that is a primary food source and whereas in the south we have a lot more grass you know, and so the cereal grains, is it, 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 in your opinion, is it, does it have something to do with the nutrients they need to survive in that habitat, or is it just a preferred thing because that's all they know, and that's how they've lived their whole life? All right, picture this. It's a frosty November morning. You're 20 foot up in a lock-on. 
and you got a big buck running a doe by your stand. I know many places in the country you don't get a chance to see things like that, but here in Kansas, you do. Hi, this is Matt Wanzer with 180 Outdoors. We've been guiding hunts in Kansas and Oklahoma since 2006 and selling real estate for the last eight. We do a lot of land leasing and property management. We could set up tree stands, plant food plots, just about anything that you would need to take care of your farm. So whether you own a piece here, you lease a piece here, or you're looking to do either, we can help you get set up with that. But did you know that we also own a real estate brokerage? It's L2 Realty Inc. That stands for Land and Lifestyle Properties. We do a lot with hobby farms, but we also specialize in hunting properties. And with those hunting properties, you'll run into the opportunity to earn with tillable ground, livestock grazing, uh, mineral rights, and hay. So if you want a safe place to put your money and an opportunity to hunt big Kansas whitetails, check us out on YouTube catch the YL2 video, www.l2realtyinc.com, or of course on any of your major social media platforms, Instagram or Facebook. Look us up. Hey, we're a hard charging company and we're looking to grow. If you've ever thought about a career in real estate and living the outdoor lifestyle, then we'd like to talk to you about how our team can support you and grow your career. If you want to learn more about us, check us out on YouTube at L2 Realty Inc., Facebook, Instagram, or at our website, l2realtyinc.com. I think it's a mixture of both of them. I think you're spot on. It's it's a 50-50 deal. Uh, the Midwest gets a lot more cold temperatures. They also get a brutal wind when it blows in a serious blizzard or a, or a major cold front, okay? we The only time in the South we see 40-mile-an-hour winds is if a hurricane's coming or a, tor or a tornado's, you know, are popping up here and there. In the Midwest, when you get a blizzard to push through, it's very common to sit one evening and see – 30, 35, 40, even 50 mile an hour winds. And so what, what a, for example, a soybean will do to them is it's kind of like a peanut. Okay. You think about it. If you eat a peanut, if you're hungry and you run home or you run to a convenience store and you eat a bag of chips, well, it, it's going to, it's going to satisfy that hunger for about 30 or 45 minutes. And then you might start to actually kind of feel bad a little bit because you've just burnt through that heavy starch, you know, snack real quick. On the flip side, if you go eat some peanuts or maybe some peanut butter, you do get the protein, but there's also some oil in that that creates more of a fat content, okay? So you're getting some oil early on. And, and let me say this, I, I work in medical sales and I work in the obesity world. So I kind of have 10% know about what I'm talking about here, but but it's basically the breaking down of, of, of food and energy, okay? And so... When it when you get a cold front in the Midwest, if if they can find a food that is elevated, such as a, a soybean or a corn, they also can get a higher protein level out of it than a cereal grain, which a cereal grain would be a great a blade, uh, excuse me, a blade of grass. Okay, and then you mix a little oil, a little fatty oil content in with it. Well, they're getting a lot more out of that. And so I think the deer are very accustomed to that. And I think their body needs that to survive much more than a Southern deer's body does. So first off, I'm like extremely excited for this just because over like the past, really just a year, I've kind of gotten starting to nerd out on the whole food plot thing too. And so I have a couple of questions, but one thing, that kind of caught my attention was you said you plant, you plant for when you're going to be hunting there. Mm -hmm. So what is, how do you plant 
in Alabama or, you know, the South when our season is so long? Like, what? how do you plan or what do you plan to get you from October through – I mean, y'all's run in Alabama is in like February, I think, yeah. right? Yes. So, yeah. so what do you what do you plant? How do you plant your food sources to last through such a long season. Yeah. So the number one thing that I I plant and I want on a lot of the property, I don't want it. I don't want all this, but I want a lot of it. And the reason is because a deer will feed on it about ten months of the year. Okay sometimes 12 if you get the water, okay? But it does go dormant a little bit, you know, but that's clover. Buzzard Roost Saddles made right here in the great state of Louisiana should be on every Louisiana bow hunter's list as a must-have in their hunting arsenal. Buzzard Roost Saddles achieves comfort through adjustability for those long day sets during the rut and also provides the maneuverability to get up and move when you see the need. Buzzard Roost Saddles was created with the need to lighten the Piro as well as the backpack to go deeper than everyone else. Louisiana bow hunters are a mixed bag and Buzzard Roost Saddles is the tool to fit any job. Whether it's public land, private land, hardwoods, pines, or even the bottomless swamps, Buzzard Roost Saddles has what you need to stay mobile. Not a annual clover. Yes, deer-like annual clover. But it's nothing like a perennial clover such as Ladino. Okay. Now, here's where a lot of people go wrong that don't really nerd out on some of the, the food plots like we do. Okay. So what clover does when you plant it is it grows roots first. Everything else for the most part, other than, than clover, alfalfa, um, some some really stronger, long-lasting perennials, they put they put roots down first. Other stuff puts plant up first. Okay. So if you plant your clover and you come out there and it's everything else is looking jamming, but your Ladino clover looks like crap. Well, it's because it's doing what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to grow a root system before it grows a plant. Okay. So you got to remember, it's really the second season. There's always fall and spring are the two growing seasons for clover. Okay. But it's really the third season before it really takes off. But, I want on my property as much, and this is Midwest, this is the South, this is everywhere, but especially in the South where br uh, browsing pressure is really intense and you don't get a lot of ag fields right around you, or at least in my area we don't. Um, you, clover will take a absolute beating from a browsing standpoint once you get it up. The only thing you got to do, like I said, it, it puts roots down first. You got to plant it with a nurse crop. So you need to put wheats or wheat or or something that's going to grow continually for that first season so you can get it up. Because what happens is deer don't bite through a plant, okay? They grab and pull. They grab and pull. And when they do that, they uproot clover. And if you plant only a, a perennial clover, they're going to grab it when it's, I mean, it's it's literally the length of the, the, the last joint of your pinky finger, okay? And they're going to uproot that plant, okay? And when they do that, it's gone. It's okay if they eat it, but if they uproot it, it's gone. Okay, so you gotta you gotta know that you gotta prepare for that. But the great thing is, if you plant in the fall, and you you come back and you notice in the spring, it's 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 here and there, but it's we need to connect the dots a little bit. You can just you don't have to do any tillage, you don't have to do anything. Get you a hand cedar spreader that you can buy at Real King or Academy or wherever else for ten bucks. Get you a healthy amount of clover and just walk it in as long as you still got temperatures going down to about twenty eight degrees. Okay, or if you've got a 
smoking rain event coming in. It's okay if it's 45, 50, but you got a bigger rain event coming in. You can connect the, and that's the easiest way that a, a poor man or, or, a, or a poor plot can be established uh, and you get a lot of usage out of it. So Clover is my number one go-to and uh, man, I, I mean, I baby the fire out of it. You can even add stuff inside a clover field that's already looking pretty good. An annual, such as a radish, just broadcast it in. Don't disc it. Don't till it. Let a good rain event come in, and then you'll have some some radishes, and then and then some clover. But clover would be the number one thing I would I would get established. And it's not a bad thing in the in the south to mix it with chicory either. Chicory is a very drought tolerant plant. So, if I'm hearing you right, when you so I'm, I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but I'm going to go back. So mm-hmm. on these established sites, you're how often are you actually tilling the ground once you get them established? Never. So, I want my clover fields. If you if you do your homework, they can last five years. So you're. I've got some that are seven. Yeah. Okay. So so what is what's your so like what's your I guess plant process? All right. Perfect. This is, this is, this will make it easy for you. So I go in and I burn everything down. When I say burn it down, unless I talk about fire, okay, I mean Roundup, okay? So I use Roundup and 2,4-D, okay? Go in and burn it down, okay? I don't care if it's over your head. If you want to mow it, that's fine. You can use less amounts of chemical, okay? That's fine. But if you mow it, give it about a week. Let that plant start to make another, you know, let it start to mature up a little bit. You know, six inches is fine and then spray it. And then after I do that, you're subject to a couple of things. Okay. You can go in and disc. um, And I do that some. I don't love to disc because when you disc, you are basically saying, okay, weeds. It's like, it's like you're calling all the weeds. Can y'all come back, come back. Okay. Because there's thousands and thousands and millions, really, of seed that's laying in the ground everywhere, okay, that you're going to fight those weeds for a long time, okay, getting rid of it. So what I do is, if you want to disc it, that's fine. But if I was going to disc it, I would disc it once. I would let it rain on it. I would let whatever's there germinate, let it get about that tall, and I'd disc it again. Because you want those seeds to germinate, then you want to kill them again. And then go in and, and I will plant. It depends on what I want. So I always usually put wheat with it. Um, if it's the Midwest, I'll put radishes with it. Um, it really, really, whatever you want to hunt over that fall, it's fine to put it with it. Wheat, oats, radish, turnips, all that's fine. Okay. And I do that. Never do just clover alone. Never. Or it won't make it. Okay. Also, you won't have anything to hunt over that fall. So get you a bag of whatever you want to plant, wheat, rye, oats, uh, turnips, radishes, what, whatever. It, all of it's fine, okay? Put a healthy dose, eight pounds to the acre or more of Ladino in there, okay? They're going to eat all those other blends that you've planted all through the winter. Now, your, your cereal grains will come back out. Your wheat, your, your oats, not your oats, your wheat and your rye will grow the next spring, okay? That's fine. Let it grow up. Let it grow up to a head if you want to. Let it head out. Okay, that gives you a long time to really let that clover continue to grow. And by that time, you should start to see some white tops on that perennial clover. Let those tops go brown. And when they go brown, they've made seed and you mow it. You're putting out more seed. Okay, 
Once you do that, your your clover field's established for the most part. It is up to you to keep the weeds out of it. And where a lot of people go wrong is they do two things that they go wrong. Number one, they mow it too short. Don't mow it short. Never mow it short. I would rather you leave it tall grass standing four feet tall through the through the hot summer months than to mow it short. Because if you mow it short, you're going to lose it. Okay? But mow it t- no, no, no shorter than about nine inches. And then also um, start spraying your weeds. Okay? Start spraying your weeds out of it. Now, I'm going to go back. Before you get into that stage, and I'm going to say this, if you walk that clover field in mid-March and there's a lot of spots that it's not, go go to the co-op, buy you another bag of Ladino C, your favorite blend. We, we, we're, we use Backwood Wildlife Products, used to be Backwoods Attraction. Their clover blends are amazing. Clover Deluxe, I've shot a pile of deer over them in October, November, December, and January. Um, but go get your favorite clover blend, Ladino hand crank it back in that field okay really connect those dots so that you get a almost like a berber layer of carpet and that's what it should look like in march before you really get those warm temperatures it should be like berber carpet it should be real small but it should just be thick okay and if you don't have that you need to add to that seed but then i'm gonna skip back to where i was so once you mow it and that time frame is gonna be mid-may into may somewhere around there it is up to you then to keep it weed-free. And the more weed-free you keep it through the summer, the better that stuff's going to be come October. Okay? But again, I would rather it be a little weedy than for somebody to mow it short. Don't mow it short. You'll lose it. So you're basically saying, <clears throat> basically every year it's it's really already you're not necess- you're not so say putting in a new food plot. It's basically already there is what you're saying. Yep, I never change it. So if I want something different in it, that's fine. I just go add to it. I'll add radish to it. Um, so I've got a really big deer um, for Alabama that is using a clover plot that I established last year. It was a terrible drought. It didn't do well. It looked awful. This spring I went in and really put a lot more clover to it and it really didn't look good until about June. Okay. It's in a bottom where it catches some rain coming off the hills and water coming off the hills. So it actually looks good right now because where it's dry everywhere else, that holds a little bit of moisture. Okay. I just went in last this week. I actually did a thing on, I haven't released it yet. I, I did a video on it. I did alpha buck. So in that area, I added alfalfa. I wanted alfalfa is hard to grow in the South. But that is a cool enough area, and there's a lot of water that I think it'll 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 handle it there. And I added radishes to it. And we this clover field is so small, we literally mowed it with a 72 inch mower, just a regular gravely mower. That's what we did. And all I did was hand crank, walked it over, spread the seed out, and then I mowed. And then I hit it with a steroid shot, like I, that I call it. I used a chemical. Excuse me. I used a liquid fertilizer. Okay, why did I use a liquid fertilizer? Because I don't want to put a granular on it and burn it right now. Okay, when you use liquid fertilizers, you're feeding it through the plant. When you use granular fertilizers, you're feeding it through the root. I would rather burn the tip of the plant than burn the root. You burn the root, you lose it. Mm. So, yeah, I I call it a steroid shot, and I'm happy to, um, there's 
several things that you can do, but anything with a high potash number, which is the very back number on the NPK, if you'll hit it with a high back number, you'll revive it as soon as you get a little water on it. So, so you don't, oh, go ahead. I was just going to ask a, a simple question because I think people <laughs> might have this question. When I've heard my whole life growing up deer camp planting food plots, you know, the terminology of burning up your plot with fertilizer. And so it's a pretty simple question, kind of better define what that means and what, you know, what you have to do to prevent that happening. Yeah. So there's, there's several things. Number one, nitrogen, let's, let's key in and let, let everybody understand what you got. Okay. You got nitrogen, you got phosphorus and you got potassium. Okay. Or, and so nitrogen is what's going to burn things up. Okay. And nitrogen is almost like a ground digger. As soon as you put nitrogen on it, it starts pulling down, 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 down. Okay. And that's what, that's what a lot of plants do. They pull nitrogen out of the core of the earth and they put it in the plant and then it releases it. And there's a, you know, that's the best way to get nitrogen. But if you go buy it in a bag and you put it out, well, you got to remember, it's going to, it's going to keep going down and eventually get so deep that plants can't pull it up. Okay. But nitrogen is what's going to burn it. Okay. So there's a couple things you can do to not do that. Number one is you can dis nitrogen in. Now, this is Blair's thinking, okay? This is not science, okay? And a lot of things that I try to do is I watch farming YouTube videos and everything. So um, when you get, if you dish your nitrogen in and you're running a pretty heavy disc, well, that nitrogen might be six or seven inches under the ground. Well, in my, th in my mind, you're, you're, you're going to lose that nitrogen quicker than if it's just laying on top of the ground. But the goal is to not burn your plant up, okay? So that's an option, okay? Um, the second option is plant your plot, let stuff start to come up, wait a little bit longer before you get a rain event, until you get a rain event, and then throw your nitrogen out there. And that will help drastically. The, but the one thing I want everybody to understand is, is you're putting fertilizer on plants to do two things. Number one is to get it out and going, okay? So every seed has enough energy to emerge. So, you know, break apart, right, and open up. And then there's the next stage is called the viger stage. The viger is what allows it to push through the dirt and explode, okay? So you're going to get a seed to emerge, to open up, and then the viger is what's going to give it the energy to go from a fraction of a, you know, a, a fraction of a, of a inch of height to two or three inches. Every seed has enough energy to do that. Once it does that, then it's your job to do whatever else you want to do with it. So when you use fertilizer, you're doing basically two things. Number one, you're saying, okay, I want to get it up quicker. That's one. And number two is I want this plant to grow to maturity. All right. Now that's where a lot of questions comes in in my mind with, with a lot of, of people and if you really want to kind of dig down and understand things okay if you have a real high deer deer density number well guess what you got a lot of plants that ain't gonna get to maturity because the deer's not gonna allow them to okay and 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 for that i up my seeding rate on the same time on the same time frame if you if you if you overseed if you plant too much seed you are hindering that plant from growing to full maturity Okay. And 
it's not going to mature unless there's reduction of some seeds. All right. So believe it or not, I don't do a whole lot of granular fertilizing. Matter of fact, 80% of the plots that I plant this year, I didn't put any fertilizer on them. But I didn't do so because, A, those areas have high deer number. I upped my seeding rate, and I want more of a canopy of plants really thick more than I want plants, radishes, so to speak, that are you know 18 to 22 inches tall because they're not going to get there anyways. So you need to kind of evaluate, okay, do I have high deer numbers or do I not? Um, because if you do, it may not be worth spending a lot of money on fertilizer. And I hate to bust everybody's bubble, but here's the deal. If your pH is not good, you are wasting your money on fertilizer. You hear people say it, but, but I'm telling you right now, like, don't do it. There's no, you're going to get, there's studies, agriculture studies that show that you are using less than 14% of the fertilizer if your pH is very poor. So what, what do you want your pH to be? Six and a half, ideally, okay. you know, depending on what plant uh, it is, but roughly around six and a half. Yeah, I did. Uh, so <laughs> you're going to laugh. This, this is, I'm going to kind of expose myself, but up until this year, all we ever planted was rye grass. And I'm not mm -hmm. talking about cereal grain rock. I'm talking about Gulf annual, rye Gulf grass annual ryegrass. And I was always wondering, I'm like, man, I don't like, I don't ever see any deer coming in our food plots. <laughs> so that's what kind of started me to dive into this whole food plot thing. But yeah. anyway, this year I tested it and, and our, our, uh, I tested two different plots on our property and both were at like six and a half pH. That's so. great, man. That's great. Yeah. So, so yeah. you can use fertilizer and you're going to, you're going to use 90, 90 to 94% of it. I mean, you're going to lose none of it because your pH is good. Yeah. Um, but you did jump into something, you know, I want to urge the, the listeners to pay attention to what seeds you're buying guys. I look, I, I, we're sponsored by backwoods. I don't want to hide it. I helped them build a lot of their blends. Okay. Um, I, I love their seed blends, but I'm not trying to, make everybody love them. Okay. Everybody's got things they like, but there's a difference between tetraploid rye or Elbon rye and Gulf annual rye. And if you're sitting over a Gulf annual rye, well, I hope you've got your iPad and you got a football game on because that's about the only action you're going to get. Yeah. Yeah. It's <clears throat> yeah. I just kind of like taking this into my own hands over the past really year. I just, I mean, I never knew anything different. And I never really watched uh, anything on YouTube. And I always saw the, you know, the mixes and all that on TV, but I just never knew. So I really have been diving a lot deeper. Um, you said in the Midwest, the, the beans and the, the corn and, and the, even the brassicas do really well. Have you tried like, you know, like in the Midwest, you see these nice brassica plots. Beautiful. They're, two foot tall. Yeah. Have you tried that? Like in Alabama and the South is, does it work as good? Do they so, like it as much? Certain brassicas they do. So every brassica is a lot different, a little different. Um, you've got rape, you've got radish, you've got turnips, you've got kale, you know, there's more that I'm just not winter bulbs. If you, if you look at a brassica that takes a lot more cold temperature to release the sugar levels, such as turnips, such as sugar beets, um, then 
you don't notice the deer in the south utilizing it as more. They do use it, but here's the problem. It may not get real cold until Christmas. And then you've hunted that plot and you're kind of burned out by the second week of December. And you're like, oh, I'm done, you know. Well, then you go back in March and there's nothing in that field. Why is that? Well, because it took that long for it to get cold. And guess what? They got on it as soon as those sugar levels released. On the flip side, if you're doing radish, um, rape, um, they use those a lot earlier. And, and I am sometimes you have to transition your deer a little bit to them because it's not something they see all the time. But I will tell you, I've started putting radishes in a lot of things because not only is radish, radish is almost the fall soybean crop. So you got Austrian winter peas that's dynamite in the South and the Midwest grows in cold temperatures and it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a pea. So it's almost like a soybean, right? And they eat the green leaves and the pods. Okay. That, uh, that and radish is like the soybean of the fall, if you will. Okay. They really seek them out. And what I do with my radishes is not only do I want them for attraction, they aerate the soil very well. They grow a long tubular. They go in and open that wherever that plant was, they go in and open the soil up. And then my clover fields can, the stolons is what is what's grows the clover. The stolons is the little roots looks like that's above the ground that run and then it produces a leaf. So the stolons will run all through that aeration of where that tubular was and it'll help that clover field fill in. So um, yes, to answer your question, rad radish, if you're going to ask me what would I plant in the South to get deer on, I would do radish and rape I, from a Nebraska standpoint. I feel like one of the, I feel like one of the main questions, I know it is for me and it has been my whole life. And I've been planting food plots in the South, you know, since I was old enough to go out with my dad and stuff and, and, and do that. And, and we've had a lot of success with food plots in a lot of different ways, but in the South specifically, and I've learned it's a little different, you know, further north in places where i've planted but in the south weed control is is a major issue you know and mm -hmm. to an un, uneducated untrained eye everything that's thick and tall looks like a weed you know and so that yeah. that becomes a problem so you you talked about uh in the springtime when you're establishing your plots or you know you, you mow them and you, it's up to you to keep the weeds out so i want to talk a little bit about weed control and then a little bit also that i think is more probably relevant right now as people are looking at their food plots they you, they've gone through the the typical southern routine of labor day comes and we go spray them or we burn them and then we disc them up and then we plant them and then we just go through that motion year after year after year and when we show up in september it's a huge, looks like a huge weed patch. And we don't really know what we're mm -hmm. looking at, but we know it's too thick to do anything with. You know, mm -hmm. I, what, I know I feel this way, and, and a lot of people uh, in our listening audience, just like in Alabama, it's mixed pine timber. And, you know, when you have these pine forests that are 7 to 20 years old, you know, it's a weed factory. And any open ground turns into just, you know, a weed forest. So, how do you attack those things, you know, not only in your plan to establish and keep a plot, but how do you attack, a, a, attack those things right now when you're trying to plan for planning this, this fall? Yeah, so you're, you're really getting in, into the tail end of time here. You know, if it's a really grown-up field, um, 
I would probably bush hog it and I would hit it with, if it's so, so Roundup is a really good grass killer. Okay. If it's real grassy, um, Roundup will do a good job. If you've got like saw briars in it and you've got uh, ragweed in it and you've got mare's tail in it, basically anything that's not a grass, you might as well say, okay, I don't really know what that is, but I know it's not a blade of grass and I need 2,4-D on it. Okay. But, but you're, you're really, I mean, I, I spray, for example, I had a soybean field that made pods that looked beautiful. And this is a new area that I've ever done it at this spot before. Two weeks ago, there's pods everywhere. I mean, the, they were eating the leaves up, but the pods were just loaded. I'm like, it's great. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to turn it. I'm going to go over the top, just disc in cereal grains. I'm going to have pods, and I'm going to have cereal grains, and I'm going to mix a little clover in with it. I'm going to be golden. Well, guess what? The drought, they ate all the, bean, the leaves up. Guess what they ate next? They ate all the freaking pods up. There's like a third of the pods on the plants that there was just, you know, 15, 18 days ago. Okay, so I'm like, crap, what am I going to do? And because they've eat the leaves up, what happened? Well, grass has started to grow and some broadleaves. So I went over the plant, over the, the whole field this week, and there was grass. Some of the grass was waste time. I hit it with Roundup. Okay, something that you can do to make it real quicker is you can go to the co-op and buy ammonia sulfates. Very cheap. You can mix it in granular and you mix it up in a, in a liquid form or you can buy the liquid form, which is even easier. Ammonia sulfate. Four ounces to the acre will absolutely, with, mixed with Roundup, will smoke grass. Like two days will smoke it. Okay? And it's cheap. Ammonia sulfate's cheap. So I sprayed the whole plot. I'm going to not till it or do nothing. I'm going to come back right ahead of a rain event. I want a good rain event. I don't want four-tenths of an inch. I want like hurricane rain event two inches three inches if we can get it okay and i'm going to go in i'm just going to broadcast over the top but at this time to answer your question there, it's it's getting late you know guys you, you really need to act quick and at this point so brassicas need 60 days to really grow and mature okay whatever your frost date is google it you can type in your zip code average frost date average first frost it'll give it to you okay you need 60 days before that frost if you're going to plant a lot of brassicas, okay? Wheat, rye, oats, you're good. It'll come up. You can have two weeks and it'll be fine, okay? Um, now, it's going to be stunted if, if you get really, really cold, you know, abnormally cold for your area. But you you if you're going to, like, literally start this weekend, I, I would go out and get it mowed quick so you can get it underhand. And then two, three days later because you don't have a lot of time, I would hit it with Roundup and 2,4-D. If you are going to use brassicas, you need to wait about seven or eight days before you plant those brassicas because 2,4-D has a 10-day residual, roughly, okay? But if you just do Roundup, I mean, feel free. You can put your seed out and then spray Roundup over the top. It's not going to hurt it. Roundup is a contact killer. It's what you call a post-emergent uh, post herbicide not a pre-emergent herbicide. So you can put seed out and spray Roundup over the top, or you can spray Roundup, then put your seed over the top. It's all good. It's only going to kill what's actively growing. So when you spray that, That's what you need to do. So when you, you, so you said you're going into a field right now. You're going to spray it, mix in ammonia sulfate to, to kill it quick. But, you know, we're talking about a growed-up field that's knee to waist high and, and all kind of different stuff. 
and you're going to spray it and kill it, and then when it, when it kills, then you're going to come seed over it. Are you going to I would probably... I would probably mow it first. Mow okay? it then seed you, over you can, you, Here's the thing. You could spray it and then mow it, and that's fine. Or you could mow it and then spray it. Here's the difference. It takes a lot more chemical to kill five, you know, four foot of grass than it does seven inches of grass. Okay? Um, so you, you can kind of do either or, but to save money, if that's what you're trying to do, I'd probably mow it and then wait a few days, three or four days, and then spray it. Okay. So I'm going to give you a couple of scenarios. And okay. they're my scenarios, so I'm getting the benefit of your advice on this, but I think it's probably <laughs> uh, it's not completely self-serving. I think it's probably um, applicable for a lot of our listeners in Louisiana. So I watched your Oklahoma episode, if you're referring to this. No, I'm not referring to my Oklahoma episode. <laughs> okay. no, no, no. Uh, I saw all the hurdles you had to jump through. Yeah, so so I kinda, no, I, this is my anyways. home. This is my house. So here okay, I'm in East good. Louisiana Parish, which is, you know, the southeastern part of Louisiana. I have 400 acres behind my house. 300 of it is seven, eight-year-old pine. And, uh, you know, the creek bottoms and the, the, the lower areas are still in, in hardwood. But... I have nine food plot locations on, on this on this property. Three of those locations are existing. They're in the timber lease. They're, they've been food plot locations forever, right? They, it's in okay. the timber lease. They can't mess those spots up. Um, of those of the of the rest of them, there's a couple of uh, where I basically planted long strips of roads, and two or three spots were. When they last cut, there were decent, you know, half-acre size loading spots that we were able to clean up, and they didn't have new pine trees growing in them, so we were able to make plots out of them. Long okay. story short, we've been disking and planting these spots for six or seven years now. They've, okay. They've, they've been, every year, they're very good food plots. They grow really well. The deer eat them. Um And I even talked to you about this some in the spring. So this year, now we're going into, like, my, my scenarios here are to help people that may have done something like this or, 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 or something similar themselves. So this past year, I went in and I sprayed clethodum, uh, per your uh, advice, on all these Which plots. is a grass killer. Grass Make killer. Sure everybody knows that's a grass killer. Yep. Yeah. I okay. sprayed. I couldn't get the 2,4-DB, so I just sprayed clethodum. Um to let my clover really grow through the spring. I did that for the turkeys and the deer, and it worked really well, um, <laughs> especially even for deer. Not so much for turkeys are just kind of scattered around here, but the deer really ate the clover good. Now, when it got to be hot and it got to be dry, a clover really suffered, and a lot of crap grew up in there, but it's still mm -hmm. a lot different than it was in years past where there's not as much grass mm -hmm. grown up in it because I killed all the grass down. Two of those locations, I actually went in, and I disked those spots up, and I planted iron clay peas in the summertime. So now those spots have peas and grasses growing back in them. All the rest of them are just a lot of junk and trash. There's still some clover in there and stuff like that. So I'm looking at it right now, and keep in mind, we're talking about existing locations that have been disked up and planted six yep. or seven years consecutively. So... Mm -hmm. My typical mode of operation would be go in there, spray everything, mow it down, and spray it, 
and then go turn the dirt up and replant it? What can I do to keep mm-hmm. from having to go through all that? It, can I go in there, spray these things, mow them and spray them, or spray them and mow them, either one, go over there and broadcast seed and be successful without actually disking these plots back up for an eighth year in a row? Yeah. So a couple questions before I do that. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to ask these questions and that I'm going to tell you what my thought process would be on what I would do if it was mine. Number one, you mentioned you planted iron clay peas. Have they devoured the leaves off of them? Is there still a lot of leaves or is there not? And is there pods on them? So early on when they were, we're going to say anywhere from eight or nine to 12 inches tall, they were, I had a couple of cameras in these patches and there were a lot of deer in them, a lot, eating the leaves. Yeah. Um, yeah. Once they got beyond that, it seems, and the, and the grass has started growing up in them, so now it's all like knee-high. It's a mix of weeds, grass, and and beans. Honestly, to be honest with you, I haven't went and looked at them closely to tell you if there's pods, but it doesn't okay. seem like the deer have been okay. eating them that much later in the summer once they got past about a foot. But there's okay. still leaves on it. I don't know about pods. Okay. Yep. So there, if there's leaves, they're still eating the leaves. Uh, I was actually having a conversation with Slade Priest, hunting land man, last uh, about a week and a half ago, and kind of a similar situation. He had a big iron clay pea field, and the deer were really on the leaves, but there was a lot of leaves left. And so we had a conversation about what he wanted to do. So what I would probably do in that scenario is if you don't care to lose the soy, uh, I said soybeans, the peas, if you don't mind to lose them, okay? There's not a lot of pods to keep it. You're going to get ready for the fall. What I would do is you have a ton of fertilizer sitting in that dirt right there. A ton, way more than you can put out with bags, unless you really went and rented a huge wagon behind a tractor and, and loaded it down. Okay. So what I would do is I'd go through there and I'd mow it. I would mow every bit of it. And then I would give it about a week. I would spray it with Roundup. I would do, if you're doing 41% glyphosate, I would do 40 ounces to the acre. That's really hot. Okay. But you don't want any competition. Okay. And then I would, as soon as you get done spraying, 15, 20 minutes later, load your seed hopper up. And plant that field and what you want in it. Just throw it over the top. What you're going to do is throw it over the top. Now, if you if you can wait till you say, oh crap, like there's a there's a hurricane in the Gulf and it's pushing some moisture up here in a week. Wait. Don't do the seed that day. If you can put that seed out right when a I mean a monsoon's about to happen. Because so you got to realize you're not going to get runoff on a field that you mowed that's kind of got stubble everywhere to where if you go in and disc, well, gosh, yeah, you're, you're going to get tons of amount of erosion. Okay. The other thing is all those plants are dying and they're giving you ample amount of fertilizer. But if you go in there and disc it, you're losing all that fertilizer. And then I'm going to really get into what I like to say is, and I always say the man with the most earthworms has the best farm for deer hunters for, for deer hunting. Okay. And earthworms, put out a ton of good things for us. Number one, they aerate the ground. Number two, they put out so much feces that gives us a lot of free fertilizer. Okay. 
when you run a disc through it, especially if it's deep, you know, then you're, you're cutting through those. And I can promise you with as many nodules as those peas are going to have in those plants, there's quite a few earthworms in there. Okay. So I would, I would, again, bush hog it down, cut it low, you know, not, not like clover, not nine, 10 inches, go ahead and cut it low. Let it, give it a week, let it pop up, hit it with Roundup. Okay. A couple things are going to happen here. Now you're a little further South than me, but you're, when you mow a broadleaf this time of year, you're, you're pretty much at the tail end of the cycle of that plant, okay? You might get a little more growth out of it, but you're not going to get much, okay? Now, you're, I would say you're probably two weeks behind me as far as weather goes, maybe three. Um, but most of your broadleaf that you mow now, you're not going to get a lot of growth back, okay? Your grasses, you will. They're going to continue to grow till you get a frost, and that's why you want to hit them with Roundup Hard. But that's the easiest most cost-effective thing you can do, you're going you're gonna to save money on fuel. You're going to save a, a step. You're also going to um, fertilize your field for free. All right? But you do need to up your seeding ratio just a little bit. Okay? So if you're normally putting 50 pounds of wheat, rye, and oats to the acre, go ahead and do about 70. Okay? So up at about, you know, 18 to 20%. So uh, you don't, you always, I've always heard, you know, you got to disc it and you plant it and then you drag it, cover the seed. You don't have to worry about any of that. Do do this. Next time it rains, get you a little bag of wheat. Pour out two pounds of wheat in the bed of your truck in a corner. <laughs> Watch what happens to it. Yeah. Well, it'll sprout. I, I've, 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 we've just, I guess, and it's, it's, it's just. Is it camp, just like culture camp. while we've done that? Yeah, I think, I think we just always, well, I always, I was always told and I always heard this and I guess it's just been passed on from generation to generation. You know, if you go in there and you throw all this rye and wheat seed all over these, these freshly plowed fields, especially in, in September or early October, these big flocks of robins and blackbirds are just going to come wipe them out before they ever germinate if you don't cover them. You know, or the turkeys, if you had a lot of turkeys, that was always a problem for me growing up because we had, fortunately, we had a ton of turkeys back then. And, you know, you know what, Blair, you know what happens when you plow up a field. It's just like a calling card for turkeys. They're going to come scratching it, you know. Mm -hmm. And, oh, um, yeah. you know, so I had, I have always, you know, heard that if you, if you broadcast a ton of seed on open ground and you don't cover it, the birds are going to wipe so much of it out before it ever germinates. But I guess, that's also considering that you're plowing that field, which is probably a little different than a mowed field that's full of hay and stubble and everything else. You, you, you're 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 subject to lose some from birds. I mean, you are. I, nothing's perfect. Just like you're. Just like if it rained two inches, which is what you want, you're going to lose a bunch to runoff. You know, so you're not guaranteed to get every every grain of seed. Um, one thing I do do sometimes when areas where there's high turkey numbers or or I'll save a little bit in bag of the seed and right on the wood line, I'll just go over and throw a little bit of, you know, wheat or cheap seed, wheat, whatever that would deter them to over there to stay off the food plot for a little bit. And that works. It works really well. Well, so you can buy straight wheat for $9, you know, so. So last part of my question. So I had, you know, in, in the scenario that I gave for you, I have two, I have two different situations there. Now I've got a couple of, of these fields where, I disc them up in the spring, 
or the uh, summer, and I planted peas. And so now I've got grass and peas growing. I've got a bunch of other ones. All I did was spray them with clethodum and let the clover come out. And now they're very different from these pea, these, these pea patches are lush, green, knee-high grasses and peas. These other ones, there's bare dirt showing. There's some clover still there. There's a bunch of junk growing, and it, it's 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 not fully the ground's not fully covered. There's still a, there's still a lot of bare ground. Some of that's because the canopy of all the junk that grew up over the summer. You know, um, are we doing the same thing with those, or do those need to be disc? Leave them. They're clover the fields. They're, they're they're, like, they're, well, they were clover fields in the spring, and the best to the best of my knowledge because i didn't really do anything other than just spraying with clethodum and the clover just took off and it looked awesome and then it got hot and dry and the clover just looked like somebody burned it it's there it's there it's gonna when it gets cool it's gonna come back so what you need to do is mow those fields okay mow them all right um probably two you're late two enough now in that um you know what you're you're probably late late enough now you don't even need the 2,4 db you could just do clethem if it's got grass in it, okay? But it's because, not really grass. It's like <laughs> junk. We, it, it's not – some of it it's, – it's I don't even know what it is. It's that – Yeah, yeah. It, so it's really, not – just mow it. Mow just it. Just mow it. Okay. Just mow like it. Go, we always called it goat weed. It's almost like it. – it's almost like if – you know, and I know everybody can't see it, but if, if this finger right here was your clover and it looks really stunted and just not real healthy, it's because it's hot and dry. But the roots are still there. And then this right here is all your weeds, okay? You want to come in and you want to mow it about right here. You want to mow it where the weeds are even with the clover. Yeah. Okay? And you did what, you, what happens is you damaged the plant that's tall. You didn't even mow. You didn't even do nothing to the clover field. Okay? The clover, you didn't do anything to. And now what's going to happen is that clover is, a lot, is, is able to suck up a lot more moisture out of the ground and it's going to stunt the growth of that grass. So, so I actually just did that too this weekend. I mowed some clover. I went ahead and sprayed mine with a steroid shot that I call it, you know, with my, with my chemical blends. And then I did mix some clethodum with it. I was really debating like, uh, do I need clethodum? Do I not? And I'm like, what the heck? It's not much, you know, I'm going to spray 16, 18 ounces to the acre on it. It's not much. It's not going to cost me much. If I need it, I need it. If I don't, I don't. I didn't waste much. So I went ahead and mixed my clethodum with my um, with my fertilizer. So, e feeds. so even if the clover <laughs> is not really readily present because of the the hot, dry summer, don't still don't spray it with Roundup because the cl the clover is still no, there. no. Don't spray it with Roundup. Can, can you look down in there and see? I mean, the literally the leaves might be the the size of a bead of a bead on a shotgun, but are they? Can you look down in there and you see little bitty leaves down in there on those clover stems? Assuming yeah, I'm, we're going to assume that I can, I don't know. I I, need to I would bet them. you can because mine looked like that. This, I, all I can all weekend. I can tell you for sure is in late spring they were beautiful clover plots, and by midsummer there was just junk growing up higher than the clover, and the clover all looked brown and dead. Okay, and it was a white clover, right? Uh was some of it red, some of it white. Okay, so your red won't come back. That's an annual clover, okay? Right. Your your white will, all right? So what may happen is your red is an annual. It's going to grow to a head. It did put off seeds. So it those seeds might germinate and come back, but that's that would be actually a whole other seed germinating and coming back out. Where your white clover, your roots are established. They're there. 
And I had some other clover. I had some other <laughs> clover. I don't know if it was arrow leaf or what, but didn't actually have a head. Just clover. You know, didn't have a flower. Um, yeah, so that that yeah, that could be arrow leaf. I tell you what I would do, Lot, with that field. You need to do it on one of them anyways. Go get you some radish. Go get you some Ladino clover. Ladino clover. Okay. Mix those two together and walk uh, before you mow that field. Walk that clove, walk those seed blends in there. Now you're going to have to have a rain, okay? Yeah. But as soon as you get a rain, that radish is going to come out now, and then that then you'll have a full pledged thick clover field after that. Gotcha. All right. Well, we're we're running up on an hour. We all got uh, things to uh, to do this evening, yeah. but uh, I think it was a lot of information and exactly why we wanted to have you on. I hope that. Uh, I hope people got something from it and um, at least gives you a whole lot to think about because uh, yep. <laughs> there's just so many different scenarios. And I know there's probably a thousand questions out there of like, well, what about this? Well, what about that? But tried to cover some of the basics and uh, we appreciate, we appreciate taking the time. Yep. And I, you know, I, I always open up for everybody, you know, check us out on social media, the rival, uh, especially Facebook. If you have a question, drop it on the instant messenger. Okay. We do keep an eye on it pretty regularly. I do try to answer food plot questions, especially I don't answer questions in, as to where's my next biggest deer I'm going to hunt. But if you're asking a food plot question, I love to talk about that. So I do answer those. Um, but I'll leave you with this. I would say, just go try stuff. Okay. Seed on the ground, whether you do everything wrong, is still a lot better than seed in a bag, okay? And go try it. I try things all the time that sounds crazy. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it don't. Uh, I've been planting food plots. I mean, I mean, I bought a tractor when I was in college with, with like, it was a junky tractor, trust me, okay? I mean, it barely ran. You had to jump it off and hit the starter and with a hammer and everything else because I love food plotting. But my point is this. Just try things, okay? Get to don't don't feel bad if you try something and it didn't work. Just go after it, okay? You're going to learn things. You're going to learn stuff that we don't e that I don't even know, or the next guy that's planted food plots for years and years don't know. You know what? Because we may not hunt your area, and you know what your deer like. You're going to learn what your deer like. So just start trying things. You know, you're gonna you're gonna hit a home run sometimes. You're gonna strike out sometimes. But I always say this: a bag of seed on the ground is a lot better than a bag of seed in the bag. So get after it and try it. Well, Colin, you got anything else before we wrap it up? Uh, no, I got your number, Blair, so just get ready. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, we'll be heading up to Missouri tomorrow, and, and I know Colin and I both, when we get back from that hunt, we both got a lot of food plot work to do, Blair. I know you're you're busy in it with the season right around the corner i encourage everybody to uh check out louisianabowhunter.com go to your local retailers check out some of the new merch we got three or four new hats as well as a couple of new t-shirt designs that you'll be seeing in the coming weeks and so uh the season is right around the corner excited to transition this podcast from tall tales and 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 uh preparation type talked into some stories of of hunting success and, and hunting tales with the season right around the corner. So we appreciate you listening. Thanks so much. And we'll talk to you next week. 
Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. If you have anybody you'd like to hear on the show, reach out to us at info at louisianabowhunter.com. And if you want to help support Louisiana Bowhunter, go by your local archery shop and pick up some merchandise. If you don't have any at your local shop, let us know and we'll reach out to them. Or pick up your gear at louisianabowhunter.com and we'll ship it out to you same day. See you next week. Thank you.